Welcome to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. Each week we'll hear God's Word explored by Dr. Henry M. Meadows Jr. as he preaches from the pulpit of Marian Baptist Church in Chatham, Virginia. We pray that this message will be a blessing and further your walk with God. Let's join him now. Hey guys, just want to think for a minute about Sunday. We talked about Hannah and the fact of her prayer. And what I want to encourage you that this week is I talk about a couple necessities of prayer. Her prayer came from a heart that was broken, basically. And secondly, her prayer came from a heart full of hope. Those two ingredients are really powerful for a really vibrant spiritual prayer life. I encourage you to give a listen today and see how Hannah prayed for a son that God blessed her with. God bless you guys. What a privilege to have you here um, with us today. So first, Samuel, I kidded last week, and, and I told a few that, you know, this is, and it wasn't means the same way for Father's Day. You get these special days, and you're going, okay, what am I going to preach this week? Trying to be fresh, trying to be new, without preaching what you preached last year. You're always trying to be fresh and new for these things. And um, about Wednesday, man, God just sort of settled down on this passage with me, and um, I hope um, God speaks to you through this. Let's stand in the reading of God's Word. 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to read down through verse 11. There's a certain man of Ramatham Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. This man used to go up year by year from his city to worship, to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept, would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Can I just make this statement? Guys, we've always been dumb. Let's just be honest. We've just always been dumb. Listen to what this guy asked his wife. Four questions he asked his wife. Hannah, why do you weep? How about this one? Why don't you eat? This may be the dumbest one. Why is your heart sad? Don't you at some point just want to stop in Scripture and go, bro, let me help you out here just a little bit. You're not looking too bright right now. And then he says this, now he twists it to be really godly because most think he's reaching to Jacob and he's ta- as if Jacob, when he had his ten sons, he says this, am I not more to you than ten sons? Am I more, not more like Jacob to you, how he loved Rachel? Am I not like that he really tries to, and this is what us guys will do, we'll try to get all biblical at the last minute. When we realize we're digging that pit, we'll twist it to be all biblical. Am I not better than ten sons? 
No, actually, you're not. (laughs) After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord, wept bitterly. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, and I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Father, help us to hear about a mother's prayer, where it come from and what it's based on. And I believe how it can change the world. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Can you imagine this sitting? Women, y'all are some of the meanest people on the face of the earth too. Guys are dumb, women are mean. There you go, sermon for today, let's pray. Great timing. Children have great timing, y'all. I'm just telling you guys, children have great timing. So here's this guy, he has two wives, that's unbiblical for whatever reason. And so then Hannah, nothing she can do about it. There, there's no fertility drugs, there's nothing at this time. She can't have a child. And so here's this other wife, Panina, you can see it. Now did you catch it? It said she had sons and daughters, plural And the Bible says she used to pick on Hannah because she couldn't have children. It was was looked upon as a disgrace for a woman if she could not have a children this age. But we know medically there's just sometimes you can't. So this one wife picked on Hannah. Moms, when you're at your lowest, you need to be like Hannah and fall to your knees in prayer. Hannah didn't run to any other doctors. Hannah didn't. Now, I'm not saying she hadn't been checked out by whatever doctor they could do, but Hannah did the one thing she could literally do. She went to pray. And I want to tell you something. There's nothing like a praying mama. I believe mamas can move the heart of God when they get desperate for something and they begin to pray. Oh, dad, you have a point. We know that from Scripture, but mamas will just love you and pray more intimately and passionately, I believe, at times than a dad. So let's look at this mother's prayer. This mother's prayer came from a desperation of her heart. This mother's prayer came from a desperation. She wanted children. You ever been there? She wanted them so bad. She wanted, with everything in her, she wanted to be a mama. And then she makes some vows that are incredible. We're going to get to that in my second point. Only two points today. But let's look at, listen how she was when she went to this. I wrote down all the words to describe her. She wept. She had a a heart that was sad. She was deeply distressed. She wept bitterly. And then when she's talking to the Lord, she said, look on the affliction. Look on the hardship. Look on me. All these words, they pile up to this young lady was on the verge of depression if she was not depressed. Everything about her, every, as some people say, fiber of her being desperately wanted a child. She didn't complain. She just went to the Lord. There's a truth in that about everything we go through. 
we should go to the Lord with all of our problems. Hello, that's a great place. When you are struggling of heart, the best place to go is to the Lord. So I want to tell you, when she had this desperation of heart, two points here. She came to to the Lord that day with a proper attitude. Some of you may say, why pray? What does it do? Well, I believe it's going to, we're going to show you today what prayer can do. She came with a proper attitude. Number one, with a proper attitude toward the Lord. Notice who she comes to when she begins to talk here. She was distressed, and she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She vowed a vow and said, and then here's her words, O Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth. In other words, she says, I'm calling you. Remember, the Lord had so many names in the Old Testament, each to describe. We talked about this the other Wednesday night. He is incomprehensible. You ever thought about that, that the Lord God is incomprehensible? You can't really comprehend all that he is, yet he's knowable. And the way he's knowable is that we've taken his characteristics and he himself gave himself names. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Ra'ah, Jehovah, all these other names. And here we have Jehovah Sabaoth. And this means the Lord of armies. Talking about of the heavens. In other words, she went to one of the most powerful names of the Lord. She said, I'm not coming and calling on some dead idol. I'm not coming calling on someone that doesn't have power. I'm calling on the one who hung the stars in the world. And by golly, if you can hang the stars in the world, you can give me a child. That's who she was coming to, the Lord of power. I wonder how many people have ever come and just poured out their hearts. And as you're talking, you just fall down and say, just God, whatever. How many of you called upon the characteristic of God that you need at that time? He showed himself in so many different names. And by the way, if you want to know him, I'm going to be talking about some on some Sunday nights here in coming weeks. She called on the Lord of hosts, the Jehovah Sabaoth. But then I believe, just as important, she had the proper attitude toward herself. Notice what she says here. Says it several times. So there it is, O Lord of hosts, look on the affliction of your servant. Remember me and not forget your servant. But if you will give to your servant. Here's what she said. You're a great and amazing and almighty God, the God of all power, the Lord of the armies of heaven. And the word she uses here for servant means a common female household slave. We have no idea. I mean, she was a married woman. She wasn't a slave to anybody. She was married to this guy. Yet she said, in face of you, and the truth be known, I'm nothing more than just your servant. I'm here to be used by you for nothing else. I don't want a child just for me. I want a child, we know this by what she says, to give back to you. I see myself as nothing more than just a slave girl. God, I don't think high and mighty of myself. I don't think I'm all that in the bucket of fries. I don't think I'm worth anything. But I'm standing. How many slaves could go in the place of the king? None. Yet here's this one that says, I'm just a little female household servant coming to the king of kings. I wrote down, I said, our attitude before the Lord is to be one of subjection to him. Do you know that God doesn't know you anything? 
We don't like, we don't like to talk about things like that, do we? God doesn't owe you anything. Now just, 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 just wait a minute, Hank. I don't know that I like that kind of talk. That's true biblical talk. God didn't even owe His Son to come die. That's why it's incomprehensible, His mercy and His grace. There was nothing about you, there's nothing about me, there's nothing about any human that said once we sinned, God had to send His Son to die for us. People say all the time, is He really long-suffering? I don't know, is He? He's still waiting out for people to come to Him as Lord and Savior. He did not kill Adam and Eve right off the jump, did He? I mean, he literally <coughs> could have said, well, Adam and Eve, you blew it. I'm going to end this thing right now, and we're all right. By the way, the Trinity was doing just fine without you. Sometimes I think we think we add to Jesus or add to God. You don't add anything. Only thing you added was him having to go through, you know what, to die for you so that you could have eternal life. You put more on his plate. So she came with the proper attitude toward the Lord, toward herself, and she came with the proper action. She surrendered. Your proper action in front of the Lord isn't to just ask. How many of us have ever prayed a prayer and all we've asked for was something from his hand? We've asked for something from his hand, something that we could get and something that we could have. How many of that has ever come with the attitude, I want to give back? Did you catch what she said here? Did you catch it? She, she vowed with a vow. Here's a little nugget of truth. The only woman in the whole Old Testament to vow something was Hannah. And notice what she vowed. To give her son back. Most vows of that day had a time period. I vow before the Lord for the next six months, I won't shave my head, I won't do this, and then at the end of it, I can do whatever. She said, listen to what she says, if you will give me a son, I'm going to talk about this in a minute, I'm going to give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Now I want you all to get this picture. She's barren, don't have any children. She's prayed year after year. She's done the same thing. And finally she gets to this point where she's just, I feel like she's at the end of her rope and she's finally, uh, Panana is just wearing her out. Panana is just mocking her. And she finally says, Lord, I promise if you'll give me a son, listen to this, I'll give him right back. What? Y'all talking about faith. Now I know, see, some of us are going, okay, it's no big deal. She's going, she's going to give him back to the Lord like, I'm going to dedicate him like we did here. You know, we're thinking about something like this, aren't we? Do you know what she did? At somewhere about the age of three, she brought him back to the temple with his pagan priest, Eli, and left him. Hello? She brought him back and literally, not figuratively, literally 
gave him back to the Lord. This one she's prayed about. This one she's cried over. This one who she's wept bitterly over. This one that she just desired so much with everything in her. She said, I'm giving him right back. And yet some of us won't even figuratively give our kids back to the Lord. Will we? Oh, I had this discussion with somebody this week, and I just, I love this discussion. I was just listening. Here's what they said. You know, I just come to a conclusion that most parents just want their kids to get into heaven, and that's it. They don't want them to live for the Lord. I said, do tell. They said, no, no, I really don't think that parents want their kids to fully be sold out for God. Oh, they want them sold out for every little thing they can get them involved in. And I'm not against all that stuff, so don't send me a text message or an email. I don't want to hear it. But when do we sell them out for Jesus? When do we say Sunday school is a priority? When do we say Sunday night and Wednesday night's a priority? When do we make glow kids a priority? When do we make youth group a priority? When do we make things of the church a priority? You want me to answer it what today's truth is? Never. But oh, let's have an out-of-town tournament where we've got to spend four or five hundred dollars. We're going to have our son there because he might get a Division I scholarship. When every Sunday morning we meet here, every Sunday night we meet here, every Wednesday night we meet here, and three quarters of you don't come back, and don't tell me you've given your child back to Jesus, when everything else is more important than church. It gets real silent when you talk like that, Kim. I can't imagine the text messages I'll get this afternoon. Well, I paid big money for my child to do that. Jesus Christ paid with His blood for you to come to heaven. We wonder why our world's going crazy because we'll do anything but church with them. Anything but church. Don't become a Jesus freak. Whatever you do, young one, don't become sold out to God because then they'll call you funny names. They call you funny names anyway. Can I tell you the meanest person on the face of this earth? A teenage girl. Y'all seriously mean. Don't, don't, girls, don't look like that. Don't look like that. Y'all know y'all law. Y'all the meanest people on the face of this earth, man. A female teenage girl, man, they'll find an opening where they can pick on somebody else their own age or whatever, and they walk through that door and light them up. Dudes just fight, get over it. Girls, months later, the same issue that happened four months ago, y'all still on about it. A mama prays with desperation of the heart. Complete surrender. Mama, how many of y'all have surrendered your kids to the Lord? All that y'all might think was funny, but here's the truth of it. Most of you haven't. Most of you never come to the altar and pray. Most of you don't pray at home. And most of you care more about what their extracurricular activities are than their spiritual activities. 
But let me tell you this part. Here's a good part. And I'm, y'all, I'm well on my way to being through today. So she prays out of a desperation of her heart, but she prays out of a foundation of hope. I love this part. I have been waiting to get to this part all week, man. When God sort of moved in my heart about this, this is where I've wanted to go. What in the world? Here's what she said. So this, if you go back, at, and now in verse 3 it says, This man went up year after year, and so he took his wives with him, and year after year after year after year, she would face the same battles, the same hurts, the same heartache, the same barrenness, year after year, and finally she just had enough, and she runs to the church, basically. I wrote this down, I said she had a foundation of, of hope, even in the face of unreasonable hope. If this has gone on year after year, why would she pray for something to change? It makes no sense. It's unreasonable. It's a never-ending fact that she was a woman that was barren. She was getting teased. It was unreasonable thing. At this point, how many of us would have given up praying for a kid? We would have said things like this. Well, I guess it's just not meant for me to have a kid. Well, Listen, oh, this is a good one, isn't it? God's not been good to me. Let me make this statement. God is good no matter what outcome of whatever you deal with. God is still good. Hello. We, it drives me bonkers. You'll come through something and it'll actually work out. God is so good. Well, God would have been good if it hadn't worked out for you. His goodness is not based on your pleasure. Oh, that's a great statement. His goodness is not based on an outcome. His goodness is based on Him. Period. I thought about somebody else with unreasonable hope. Gideon. Over there in Judges chapter 7, I believe that's where it is. Over there in Judges chapter 7, that's where it is. If you want to read the story, you can. He's getting ready to go to battle with some 30,000 or so. Um, One of them ites, man, I can't think of on top of my head and... Amalekites or something, and and he and you know he's got this big army, and God says you got way too many people. He says so. Here's the first thing I want you to do: anybody scared, go home. So a bunch of people left. God said you still got too many. Take them down, and if they take their hand and get bring water to them, I think that's the ones you can't make. Just bend over like a dog and lap it up. Send them home. Or I might have it backwards. 300 people were left in the face of 30,000. Wouldn't you say that's unreasonable hope? Why would anybody think? Why would Gideon have said, all right, boys, let's go into battle? What? Who in their right minds would have thought that? Who in their right minds would have said, I have hope we're going to win this thing? Nobody. And yet, guess who won the battle? You may tell you why Gideon won the battle? Because the battle wasn't his. And the battle's not yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. Hello, 
That's a great place for you to say amen right there, y'all. See, the problem with most of us spiritually is we think it's all up to us to do it. We think it's all up to us to make it happen. Can I make this statement? Nothing is up to you. It's about the Lord. Here's your part. Here it is. God move. You're done. Get out of the way. Wherever He leads, I'll go and I'll do, but it's up to Him to bring it. But listen, it's not only, I love this next point, it's not only, this is my favorite little sub-point at this point. It's not just unreasonable hope, it's irrational hope. Y'all, she didn't just ask for a kid. She asked for a son. She got specific. Most of us, listen, can you imagine the conversation of today? You're praying with somebody right here. Can you picture this? They're down here, and they're praying, and you're, you're beside of them, and they're going, oh God, I just want a child. God, give me a son. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be real about me. I'd have probably said, hey, psst, just ask for a kid. Why you want to be specific and ask for a dude? She wanted a son so she could give him right back. How irrational. You've been told that, hadn't you? I don't know why you think you're still going to do this. I don't know why you think this. I don't know why you think that. I love when people say, I don't know why you think that. Here's what people tell me. When I'll tell people out in public and other pastors, I'm like, man, I want to run a thousand. Here's what they say. You crazy. Maybe. I've been called worse. Being called crazy, that's just second nature. Amen, Jay? <laughs> I mean, that's one, of the, that's one of the better ones, isn't it, Jay? <laughs> Let's just be honest. That's one of the better ones. There are so many others that I'm glad you don't say. Oh, I'm being crazy? Okay. Well, here's the truth. It's not up to them whether the Lord moves a thousand people in here, is it? And I know, see, some of y'all going... Lord, I hope you don't move a thousand people up in here. Why not? Y'all know the stuff we can do for the kingdom. I mean, we're doing a bunch now. Y'all know the stuff we can do then. You know how they talk about us now? By the way, I'm hearing it again. All of a sudden, here it comes again. Hank Motor's got a cult up there. I was literally told that this week. Yeah, Hank Motor's got a cult. Oh boy, said I looked at him and says, well, have you ever sat through one of his sermons to see if it's real or not? No, that's just what I've been told. I'm like, well, if it's a cult, bro, it's straight out of God's Word, amen? I try to do nothing but preach the gospel. But I told him, I said, but you know, they said they hated Jesus, they're going to hate me, so I don't care. I got thick skin. Here's the irrational hope. She asked for a son. You give them to me and I'll give them right back. And my mind instantly went to Abraham on Mount Moriah. Now I do want you, this is the only place I'm going to get turned to. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. You know the story? Abraham had been praying, but God told him um, some, when he's about 75, he goes, look, I'm going to move you out of this land. I'm going to move you to a land that I'm going to show you. Number one, that was crazy. I wonder how that conversation went when he went home. Honey, we're about to move. I don't know where we're going. I don't know how long it's going to take to get there. I don't know what our life's going to look like other than we're going to be pilgrims for the rest of our life. So let's just pack up Betsy and let's go. 
And then they promise a child and they don't get there. And then it's going on and going on and going on. They try different aspects to get a child and it doesn't work. And finally they get a child at the age of 100 and a 90. And then once he's there, somewhere around 14 years old, God says, hey, Abraham, you can read this story in Genesis 22. Check me out. Abraham, get up. Once again, go to another place I'll show you and offer your son to me. I mean, hello? Excuse me, God, you don't believe in child sacrifice. Why am I offering my son to you? Because I told you to. Abraham gets up, goes there. I love this statement, Genesis 22, you read it right there. He's talking to his services with him. He said, me and the boy are going to go worship. God told him to offer him as a burnt sacrifice. A burnt offering. We're going to go worship, and then me and the boy will come back. Now, I don't know about you, but dead folk don't come back. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested. I have in my notes right there, God's testing is a striving to bring out the best inside of you. Offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises in the, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, listen to this, irrational, irrational hope. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. God is able. Now, in case that doesn't... Now, obviously, that don't impress y'all. There had never been a resurrection before. Y'all, he was going to have to cut up his son into pieces. That's how a burnt offering was, to offer him by fire. Hello? And Abraham's going up on that mountain when he says, me and the boy will come back. He said, I thought somehow he could just raise him from the dead. Y'all all right this morning? There ought to be some people in your life that you are praying God will save and have irrational hope because God is the God that is able to do mighty and wonderful things. So often we see, well, I've got this diagnosis and I don't know that I'm going to make it through that. Or, or listen, I don't think that person will ever come to the Lord. Or I don't think my child will ever get straight. Or I don't get this. We have a God who is able. We serve a God whose arm, the Bible says in the Old Testament, is not too short. We got a God who says, I can do anything. If He can hang the stars and the moon and the sun and everything else we see on nothing and it doesn't move, I promise you, He can do something mighty in your life. And by the way, it won't be that hard either. We see things in our life like they are the Alps, man. And God says, you mean that little hill? You mean that little mole hill? You, you need me? I don't even have to. I talked about it the other week. Isaiah chapter 40. When's the last time you read that? The Bible says he holds all the water of the earth in the palm of his hand. He can measure all of space by doing that. 
And he calls us a speck of dust. What is it in your life that you need God to move in? I'm not done yet. i got one more little sub-point. But what is it in your life that you need God to move in that you've been thinking all along, uh, you know what, God's just not going to answer this prayer. I just don't think God could do it. I just don't think, I don't think God could do this. Quit putting God in a box. And here's the kind of hope that you need. Last one, unrecognizable hope. She's in a temple. She's praying, but only her lips are moving. And Eli don't understand what she's doing. He called her drunk. When you get real with the Lord and you get serious about the things of the Lord, people will not recognize the hope deep within you. They're not going to understand it, Miss Beth. They're not going to understand it, Sarah. They're not going to understand why in the world you would keep on keeping on praying about something that you know cannot happen. As long as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are still living, and by the way, they'll never die, there's always hope. I'm not sitting here today saying He's going to answer every one of your prayers. But I'm not going to be the one that's going to put God in a box. Can I ask you this question? What is something in your life that you need hope for? That you've just about given up, but you haven't quite yet. What is that one thing? I would argue that each one of us have something like that in our life. Just something that you need to be praying for with unreasonable, irrational, and unrecognizable hope. And it ought to be from a heart of desperation. How many of us have that in, their, in our life? Thanks for listening to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. If you would like to know more, you can reach us on our Facebook page or on our website, www.marianbcva.com.